I'm Susie Anetta, Editor-in-Chief of Design Anthology. In this episode of the podcast, I'm talking with Thai, LA-based architect Kulapat Yantrasast of Y Studio. Thank you for joining us on the podcast, Kulapat. It's great to be talking today. Always an honor. I'm such a big fan of design anthology. So, um, and you grew so much over the years, which makes me somewhat proud as well from afar. Oh, thank you. That's that's lovely to hear. Um, so I wanted to start today's chat by going back to the very beginnings of your career, perhaps to your education and ask you if you remember when it was that you first decided to study architecture. Well, thank you. You know, I think uh, it started um, in high school. You know, I was definitely geared towards, you know, medical studies and engineering. But because of, you know, the travel that my parents uh, took us um, to, to visit all the places around the world and my own house renovation, uh, big expansion that happened when it was around 11 years old that really triggered the love of architecture and interest in city and construction. So that's made the first time that I somewhat stood up to uh, my parents and told them that I would rather become an architect rather than a doctor. So that was the beginning of my journey towards architecture. And I think if I'm correct, you did your undergraduate studies at Chulalongkorn, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, in Bangkok, and then you went on to Japan. Is that correct? Exactly, yes. My undergraduate is Chulalongkorn University and my uh, graduate programs, uh, master PhD is uh, at Tokyo University. Okay. So we have a mutual friend. This is the first time that we're chatting actually over the phone. Um, obviously, we've known of each other for some time, but we have a mutual friend in Rachapon Chichue, uh, who we had as a guest. Absolutely. Yeah, on the podcast some time ago. So you both studied at Chulalongkorn and then in Japan. Did you meet at university or was it in another circle that you two met? Well, she's many years younger than me. So I already graduated when she was in college. And so at the time, I've got a scholarship uh, to go to Japan. So I left the next day after I graduated from university. So I mm. didn't have a, 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 an overlapping with Rajapon at all. But because I was doing a lot of activities back in Thailand, including, you know, uh, kind of organizing an exhibition for Toyoito mm. and uh, in, 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 in Bangkok. And so Rachapon was one of the students that are very active and help with making that exhibition happen. And Ito-san mm. always liked the idea of engaging young people in different places. So 
we actually got to know each other well through the Toyoito exhibition um, and installation in Thailand. Mm, okay, that's yeah, that's interesting. Well, I wanted to ask you about your experience of living and studying away from home. So, you know, you just said you went the first day after graduating, which is pretty quick. Um, you know, what do you think was the most formative part of that experience of being outside of Bangkok? Um, maybe not for the first time, but living in a different culture and studying in that sort of uh, environment. Absolutely. You know, I think one thing, the reason why I chose to go to Japan is because when I was growing up in, in Bangkok, I felt that there's a, there's a kind of a gap between our climate, our lifestyle, our habit with the modern forms and modern buildings that we're building. We have skyscrapers that are, you know, somewhat look like something in Houston or something in other places around the world that do not fit with our culture and our climate. So I was looking and I realized that maybe the problem is, you know, you, instead of learning from Europe and America, the places that in a way create modern architecture, we have to learn from places that in a way import and adopt uh, modern architecture and integrate that with their own culture, with their own climate. And so I was, I was looking at Japan, I was looking at Mexico, I was looking at Brazil, of course, master architects. And so because of that, that's when I went to Japan. And so when I went to Japan, I immediately in love with what I saw. I was in Japan one time before for a month. But I really appreciate, uh, you know, especially being an Asian country, you know, Buddhist, and there's a, so many similarities between Thailand and Japan as well. So my uh, master's program is obviously uh, in university. But what I learned so much is to traveling and really meeting people, especially Japanese gardens, have become my biggest discovery and love until today. Oh, that's so lovely. And I believe that you worked with, uh, you know, maybe one of the most famous architects perhaps in the world, but certainly from Japan, Tadao Ando. You worked with him for some time before you started your own practice. And while you were there, you worked on a number of quite important art institutions. And I wanted to ask you about that experience. What was it like and what would you say um, you learned from working with Ando-san? Well, I mean, he is my mentor in every sense of the word. You know, my life today would not take the turn that it did without meeting him. So I met him uh, as friends. He came to do a workshop in uh, Bangkok, actually, in 1996. And I was asked uh, to moderate a conversation with him and other Thai architects. And we like each other immediately because, of course, I speak Japanese. And then he asked me to take him around the next two days, him and his wife. And we, come, we become fast friends because we are able to talk about it. I was very impressed about how he really, the perception of things, not just architecture, but nature and culture and people is so insightful and perceptive and reflect who he is. And so uh, that was our first met. And then he invited me to visit him in Osaka, where his office is based. So I went to visit him a few months after. And he just got a competition uh, for a museum in Texas, the, the Modern Art Museum of Fort Worth, that invited, he's one of the five architects invited to compete. And as we were having dinner, I was reading at the time a book by Michael uh, Benedict called Deconstructing the Kimball. 
which I think is one of the best books on Luikan and on the construction architecture. So I told him, like, oh, you have to read this book because it's so insightful about analyzing Khan's geometry and how the Kimball is such a, a work of deconstruction in a way it defines meanings and so forth. So I told him that, and he said, oh, well, if you're so uh, interested in that, why don't you come and work with me on this competition? So I was somewhat surprised that, you know, we were friends over dinner, and then I was like, well, I'm waiting for a job from Ito-san. So might as well just work with him. So I'm uh, kind of moved, but then then they said, oh, you know, um, as foreigners, it's difficult to get apartment in Japan for a short time. Why don't you stay in our guest room, which is next to the apartment? So I should stay in the same compound for eight years with mm. him and his wife, and in the beginning, her mother as well. So I was somewhat adopted. So what I learned from him, you know, going back to your question in a long way, it's not just architecture, but it's really the way of life, the way he think about his business. We travel together all the time. And then a little bit later, I, I start to translate everything he say. So we become this, you know, traveling, you know, group that, you know, we always think together, be together for eight years. So that was an intense mentoring that I had from him. Wow. I would love to be a fly on the wall and listen to a conversation between the two of you. That sounds fascinating. <laughs> um, and I also didn't realise that you spoke Japanese, but I guess that that makes sense considering how much time you spent there. Yes. I mean, actually quite well because I lived there for a total of 15 years. Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm studying Japanese at the moment. Maybe sometime we can, next time I see you, we can, <laughs> you, I can oh, practice with you. Oh, that would be you. a delight. Well, we have to rehearse, <laughs> Susie. That would be so fun. <laughs> we could do a podcast episode in Japanese. That would be fun. <laughs> I'm up for that. Okay. Well, I, I wanted to talk to you a bit more about your role um, working with and designing spaces for art institutions and the, the relationship that you see between art and architecture. And I wanted to hear your thoughts about that and perhaps what you enjoy most about working on that particular type uh, typology of architecture. Well, thank you. I think art is, you know, one fine example of culture. Right. I think that, of course, architecture is, fashion is, food is, they're all aspects of cultures we all lived in. And I feel always that culture is the glue that connects us together. Culture is the one that allows us to live deeply through other people. You know, we eat not only our own food, but we eat so many cultures' food. We consume so many cultures' architecture and art as well. So I feel like life is worth living through exchange of cultures and ideas. So to be able to design museums or opera house or places, art centers and things, I think it's so wonderful because it's a place of, you know, of course, cultural representation, but it's also a place that allow people to like each other. You know, I, I feel a lot of time that I'm the matchmaker. I'm the matchmaker between art and people. I have friends who love art. I have friends who are artists. And I create a setting, an environment, a moment that allow them to know each other and develop an understanding and hopefully, you know, passion towards each other. So I feel that very strongly. And especially now, you know, after the pandemic and after what we go through with, you know, equality and inclusivity, I really feel that museums and art spaces are now function as sites of empathy. 
it allowed people to really understand each other better and even like each other. And I feel architecture has a big role in playing to, you know, just like when you design a great city, people love city, people love being together. So I think there's a lot of things we could do to help to bring people together. Mm. I'm glad that you used the word empathy. That's um, that's really lovely. Um, and so you now live in LA. Um, you've sort of left your home city of Bangkok via Japan and are now in LA. Um, and I, I, well, it, LA seems to have gone through quite the renaissance in the last few years that there is this incredible art scene there that um, maybe was always there. I'm not as familiar with LA as I am with other cities, but um, it seems like it's quite a burgeoning and, and very important art scene now. Um, so I wanted to actually ask you what prompted the move there? How did you end up in LA? And, um, and maybe what do you miss most about Thailand and Japan? Well, thank you. Well, I mean, after 15 years in Japan and eight years with Ando, you know, I really felt that I need my own voice. I need my own place that I can really generate uh, my own expression, right? So I felt that going back to Thailand feel like going back to my parents' home. It mm. felt, you know, kind of limited. And I never really worked uh, in Japan, so I don't have a connection to architecture in that sense. And when I was working with Mr. Ando, I was working in a lot of Europe and Japan, I mean, and America as well. So I was traveling so much between uh, Europe and America. So it becomes so natural to me. But I was really drawn to uh, Japan, to, to, to Los Angeles for a lot of reasons. But to be honest, the biggest one is the fact that it kind of is uh, a place that loves experimentation. Mm. It is forgiving. It lets you explore ideas. It doesn't have a preconceived notion about what things is. It's somewhat curious, and it, it lets you fail and do things again. As you see in many architecture um, in uh, LA as well, it's a place where people go to try something new. And I think that you can see exactly what you say with the art world now. The artists are coming because there's more space, there's more light, there's more of the big production base, which is, of course, based off from film industries and music industries in Hollywood and so forth. So the, the city itself is so creative. And so and I thought in the beginning, because at the time I was 35, I was like, okay, well, I think I'm too old for New York. I don't want to work for anyone else. I want to still be able, be able to do some things like, that, like a startup with some experience I have, but as I want to be able to grow these, you know, with a place that maybe not too close to the market and also allow me to experiment. And if I fail, at least I can start again. So I think mm. Los Angeles was that place for me. And and I don't know whether if I had moved to, to New York was my second choice, whether I would be able to be as successful. Not that I'm that great successful, but at least I, I, I got my way. So, so I think that was my uh, decision and I loved it. And we started in Los Angeles 17 years ago and now we're in New York 10 years ago. Our New York mm. office is actually bigger, but we balance between the two of it, yeah. 
Okay. That's interesting. You know, I think I read or heard you talk about, um, you know, some of the similarities between the Thai people and Japanese um, and obviously differences as well. And you used, I think, food and architecture as analogies. And I think you described the Thais as being open and curious. And um, and you've just sort of said something quite similar about LA. I wonder if that's, you know, if you found something that was familiar to you in a way about LA that, that seemed similar to Bangkok. Do you think that might have been what drew you there in a way, in a sense? I think you're right in some sense. I When I first arrived, I saw LA as the middle ground between Japan and uh, and and Thailand. You know, I think Los Angeles is, you know, have the biggest Thai population outside of Thailand. So mm. that obviously is, is appeal to Thai people in general. I think the idea of the openness, the idea of, you know, welcome to immigrants, people can have land, people can be in touch with nature. All of these are really, I mean, resonate very well for me coming from Thailand. But so to have that aspect of, system maybe not as visible as new york or some other american cities but it, it but it does and one thing that for me struck me the most when i came to los angeles is that the fact that it's one of the few cities in the world whose main industries are creative right film mm. music advertisement uh, media design we're not a banking city and we're not a law city so therefore the people that you meet have some relationship to creative industries in a way that no other city have. People are very curious. They always want to do something. And there's always, even your clients are not, you know, uh, kind of a executive of a corporation. Your clients are normally creative people that work in creative industries that happen to want something. So the conversation you have with people in, in the city is quite different. And that part, I, in a way, struck for me from the beginning as it, it's an interesting place. I mean, the playfulness and the curiosity definitely remind me a lot of Thai people as well. Mm. That's so interesting. I've never heard anyone talk about LA in that sense, or I've never thought about it from that perspective. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it is very unique in that sense, isn't it? Um, so yeah, I can completely understand why you would want to make that your base. Um, so I, I want to hear a bit more about your house. We published your home in, I think it was issue five of Design Anthology, so very early on, and it graced our front cover. And I think still to this day is maybe one of the highest selling issues of the magazine ever. Um, I would love to hear you talk about, you know, that house. There's there's so much personality um, within that space. And there's something obviously very LA about how open it is, um, given the climate there. But I, yeah, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that and what, what it was that you wanted out of a space that you were going to be living in. Well, thank you. You know, I, I really dreaded design my own house, right? I didn't want to do it. I wanted to buy something available that I just moved in. I just felt that I, I need a, a better environment for living and be able to have outdoor space and others. But when I went through a year of searching, I couldn't find anything at all. So I felt like, well, I think I have to design it myself. So I never wanted that that house to be, you know, you know maybe being somewhat concerned of, of like a self uh, uh, kind of portrait in, in a sense. And so it starts from the urge of how do you want, I, how do I want to be happy? 
I felt that it'd be nice to lift the living room in from the ground floor to the second floor, bring the pool with it because we get better light and better sun, have the house really open to the pool, indoor, outdoor, the light reflecting from the water. And of course, the building is out of concrete because that's what I know to do very well and inexpensively. So I, I built that. So at the result of it, even though it's not planned from the beginning, it has this funny, minimal, somewhat stoic structure that comes from the whole house being mostly concrete and glass with very simple other materials, almost no other materials, very little gypsum board walls and wood. But the furniture and the furnishing are all just somewhat whimsical objects that I like to put around myself because I like to be inspired and reminded of different uh, people and different culture and different journeys I have taken. And so I like to be surrounded by objects. So it has this funny, minimalistic, uh, stoic, concrete structure that's full of this playful collection of vignettes and tchotchkes and things like that. And that somewhat, you know, bring in like what we talked before, the whole Japanese sense of order and clarity and structure and the Thai aspect of wanting to put a lot of things uh, completely contrasting together to create a new sense of harmony, a new sense of dichotomy. So I felt that in the process of building my own house, these kind of unconscious interests uh, kind of come together out of habit, out of not planning. That's a great way of describing it. Um, I am curious to know whether you, well, I mean, it's interesting that you say that you didn't intend originally to build a house for yourself, that you were looking to buy something. And I wonder if you felt any pressure at all building something in a city that's so known for so much iconic architecture. I mean, well, iconic uh, contemporary architecture, that is. Was that at all on your mind when you were in the process of designing and building? Absolutely. You're absolutely right because, of course, the treasures we have in Los Angeles are the residential treasures. Right? You, anything from even, you know, green and green. As The history of the city is full of that. So you're absolutely right that I was dreading it a little bit about whether I can actually stand up and be part of that trajectory. You know, and uh, one of the reasons, uh, one of my heroes uh, is Frank Gehry. Right. Mm. And I think that the fact that he was doing his, I remember the first time I went to see his house in Santa Monica, which is a renovated bungalow that he created layers around it. It was so provocative. And I felt that, wow, something like this from someone who's actually not from California, he's Canadian, mm. and be able to build something. It was so provocative to me that I felt that I could do that. So obviously by looking at this, and thinking about it, so I feel like, well, I don't think I want to be, you know, judged by by that. But so, but I did it because of necessity. Because with the money that I had, I couldn't buy something that can can tick all the boxes in the living I wanted. So I ended up having to design it, and that was um, now becoming a blessing. And to be honest, I don't really think too much about it now whether it will be in. The, the 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 trajectory of modern uh, residential history or not because I felt that it was a journey that I uh, should have taken which I did but uh, so if I didn't build my own house I wouldn't know a lot of things about myself that I I now do so I think it was my own 
education that that I didn't know I needed. Mm, that's so interesting. And I would love to hear you talk a bit about LA as a city from an architectural standpoint, actually, because as I think we both mentioned earlier, the city has really changed a lot and developed in a lot of ways um, over the last few decades, um, even as an outsider kind of watching from so far away. Um, I'd love to hear you describe LA in an architectural sense and maybe describe how it's changed since you first moved there. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Well, LA is, uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's guilty as charged, right? It's a city that you experience a lot of things by cars. Mm. There's a few walkable neighborhoods, but a lot of time you're driving from A to B. And so uh, between A to B, a lot of time there's nothing pretty to look at. It's not a city in a classic sense at all. It's almost villages linked by streets and freeways and um, many things. And so the architectures uh, here uh, really locate within the private realm. You know, we have some uh, public buildings that you can point to, like, you know, Disney Hall, like the, some of the classic international buildings that are part of the history, history also. But the major part of the city actually happened in private, you know, spaces, mostly the houses. And the houses in Los Angeles have always been rather big. So people can actually entertain easily within their own house. They can do a wedding, they can do a party for hundreds and hundreds of people easily. So it becomes somewhat not only just an intimate private space, but also a public version as well. So I think on that sense, you know, I think uh, even though, you know, the world know, uh, you know, resident architecture in LA as pioneer from, again, you know, uh, Green and Green to Frank Lloyd Wright to, of course, Neutron and Schindler and many others. Those are really the 3% of the houses in Los Angeles. The 97 are still, you know, replicas of Spanish style houses or sometimes, you know, uh, even, you know, uh, Italian style or French style. It, it, it become somewhat of a storage of, you know, American dreams, right? When you are successful in your job, you build your own palace and your palace can be in any style, modern, you know, kind of classic, uh, revival or anything. So you go to Beverly Hills, you go to Bel-Air, you know, exactly all of that. And so uh, it's never cutting edge. The cutting edge part is known because it's a new city. So that history is quite clear. But since then, I have to say that, uh, you know, even a new city like Los Angeles also have grown up. And so now we've been looking back a lot at our own history. How do we learn from the trajectory? What is the future? There's a lot of focus now on nature and landscape, even before the pandemic. You know, I think uh, you know, the, there's, you know, the, the lovely book, uh, The City of the, the Four Ecologies, which is true, to talk about what that Los Angeles is. So I think Los Angeles is going through its own growing pain, almost like the midlife crisis, that the architects and the thinkers of the city is looking at our own uh, history, our own story, our own agenda. For the longest time, we always look outside. We want to be New York, we want to be this, we want to be that. And now we're really uh, maybe confident enough to really think about the narrative that come from within, which is our own history, our own making. 
And that's really quite exciting because you can see uh, a lot of meanings being uh, built or, or, or discovered. But one thing, you know, which I could uh, add, which is I find very fascinating. It might not be a good thing to a lot of people, especially design-oriented, but it's surprising how Los Angeles has become the model room or the model city for third world developments. You know, I'm, so, I'm talking about third world, I know it's a weird obsolete word, but developing countries, you know, developers from Asia, from China, from Thailand, from Indonesia, from the Philippines, from even from Africa, are coming to LA to look at what they want to build in their own countries. And this can be quite alarming because everyone might think, oh my God, it's going to be so ugly like LA. But it's interesting because these people are not going to New York or not going to Paris to see what they can build in their uh, city because Los Angeles, with its growth, with its diversity, with its uh, focus on contemporary agenda, actually stand as somewhat of a prototype or a model for a lot of cities that are growing after it. So I felt uh, like what we said before that Los Angeles somewhat has a responsibility <laughs> to really look back at ourselves and see what are the role models or the examples that we're setting for other cities that might be looking at it too. That's so interesting. Um, that's really exciting, and I, you've, you've, I'm now very, very much looking forward to getting there. It's been a long time since I've been well anywhere, obviously, but um, very keen to get back there. Um, that's such a, uh, an interesting picture that you've just painted for us all. Thank you so much, Kulapat. Um, I feel like I could chat to you all day, but I'm going to let you go because I'm sure that you're busy. But I wanted to say thank you so much. That was such an interesting conversation. Thank you, and we look forward to welcoming you. And one last thing, I'm so proud that we have Design Anthology that is, you know, based in Australia and in Asia. I think how important it is to have a voice, you know, a, a, an amplifier and speaker. They are not from America and from Europe. I think it's extremely important, the focus. And so I really look forward to welcoming you here. Well, we had the Olympic uh, in 2028, so hopefully you'll come before that and be able to look at some of the things together. Mm, that sounds wonderful. And thank you, Kulapat. That really means a lot. It's uh, much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. Anytime. Okay. Well, you have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.